the book of Judges, God's deliverance in chaotic times, and certainly we find ourselves once again in chaotic times. I've come to this pulpit many times uh, where we've been at war or something's happened. Uh, I should say a war is going on in the world or something terrible has happened, and um, it's, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to make sense of these things that go on. So in the first 21 verses of uh, the book of Judges, we looked at some really hopeful news as the book opened up. Um, if there's someone back in the booth, I've got a little echo that I'm feeling up here. Anyway, um, in the first 21 verses, there was a hopeful beginning to the book of Judges. That's about all you're going to get for hopeful stuff in the book of Judges. Now, there's, there's pockets of hope still to come. But Judah went up, and there was some victory, and there was some uh, prospering, and the Lord was with them. And the southern tribes began to do what began in the book of Joshua, and there were some good things going on. But it's going to quickly uh, go downhill from there. And we're going to see actually a verse that says Dan had their inheritance. But do you know where Dan ended up? They ended up at the very top, the, the northernmost tribe um, in the land of Israel. And they were on the border of Syria. And Dan got influenced more and more by pagan uh, culture because they had to relocate their uh, inheritance, if you will. And it put them on the very border of paganism. And it was just one more step in the descent of compromise. So this is what happened. Many, many areas that could have easily been conquered were not. Why? Well, Judah said it's because they have iron chariots. Although Judah had some success and somebody else might say it's because of this or because of that. But we don't know for sure why. But we know that the Bible as a whole says the issue with Israel was unbelief and that could be it. I read one commentator who said that it wasn't easy for them and whenever it got too hard, they gave up. Whenever they had to do the extra, they gave up. God help us that that's not us, right? As soon as my Christian life gets hard, well then, you know, I didn't sign up for that. You mean you signed up only for easy, right? I mean, let's face it, in Western Christianity, we struggle with that. So we move into 2-1, and we're going to just look at now what the angel of the Lord says to the people in light of the compromise. Now, 2-1, the angel of the Lord, you can see Lord is uh, all caps, that's Yahweh. So this would be the Malak of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, literally, came up from Gilgal, where they first crossed into the promised land and camped. At Gilgal is where the um, angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua and had that dialogue. So the angel of the Lord now came up from Gilgal to Bakim, that's Another name for Bethel. We'll talk about that in a second. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Now, whenever the Lord seems to correct us, he first reminds us of what he's done for us. We love him because he first loved us. So when we read some of the epistles, you know, the Apostle Paul will say, this is what Christ has done. This is who you are in Jesus. Now, as a result of that, this is how you should live. Our, our, our godly living, if you will, our 
life of godliness is always in response to God's goodness. Not to earn his goodness, but because he's so good, he deserves our best. Amen. So the angel of the Lord um, says, this is what I did. Don't, don't you remember where you were? I brought you up out of Egypt, the house of slavery. I led you into the land which I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. This is a covenant I made with you and a covenant you made back to me. You said, all that the Lord says we will do. And we entered into a marriage at Sinai. And the blood was sprinkled on the people. And they said, yes, yes, yes. And God said, this is what I will do. And they said, this is what we will do. And they made a ketubah in the Hebrew idea of a marriage uh, contract. But from there, it didn't go so well. And through Moses, God said, you're going to go into this promised land. And when you do, here's what I don't want you to do. And here's what you need to do. You need to knock down the high places, the ashram, all of that stuff. You need to get rid of it. Get that stuff out. And the angel of the Lord spoke to them about the promises of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord talks about bringing them into the promised land and he says these words, this is, uh, just write this down, Deuteronomy 7, 5 through 7. He says, but thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. He's the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand, the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isaiah 43, one says, but now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Dropping down to 43, four. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. God made amazing promises to this little group of people who were weak and few in number and didn't really have much to offer because that's what God delights to do. Amen? He takes the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's why we're here tonight. So he reminds them and he says, but that's what I did, but as for you too, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. That's what he said over and over again. You shall tear down their altars, but you've not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? You almost can hear the echo of the voice of God to Adam. What have you done? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Well, the woman, <laughs> right? That you gave me, right? She offered it to me. And the woman, the serpent. 
And you've heard the old joke, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. You can hear it in the question to Cain. What have you done? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I hear the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground. What have you done? Can you imagine just for a second? I don't know how this all worked, but the angel of the Lord came up. He came to the place that we believe is Bethel. He addressed the people. The people were swimming in the consequences of not taking the land. And then they get addressed by their leader, their savior, their redeemer. Can you imagine if I just sat down right now and our Lord came up to the pulpit and looked at us? And of course, we know that he doesn't condemn us, so I want to be careful here. But, but if he were to keep a record of our sins, if he were to point out and remind us how far he's brought us, I think we'd start to kind of shrink down a little bit, right? Like, He says, don't you remember what I told you? I told you to drive them out. I told you to tear it down. But you become comfortable in your defeat. You've played patty cake with sin. You negotiated with the Canaanites. I told you not to do that. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become, and here's our title, and we're almost done, as thorns in your sides. It may be italicized in some of your Bibles because it's actually uh, in the Septuagint and not in some of the other manuscripts. It should become as thorns in your sides, but this is repeated from uh, Numbers 33:55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those who you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes, as thorns in your side, and they shall trouble you in the land in which you live. Numbers 33, 55. A thorn in your side. So now, I wear contact lenses, and uh, if you ever have your contact lens not sitting right. How many of you are contact lens wearers? Okay. Um, if, you, if you have a piece of uh, fiber under it or it, ju- it doesn't sit right, you're just like, ah, and your eye can turn quickly red and, and you get, get it out, you know. <laughs> you ever had a splinter? How many of you men want to admit you had a splinter and you, you want your wife to help you out? Get it out, get it out. You sound like a little girl, you know, ah. Masculinity's out the window. How many of you uh, have walked through a spider's web? <laughs> and, you're like, and people don't know what's going on with you. You look like the most bizarre person on the world. <laughs> what? Is it on me? Get it off. Get it off. Imagine, imagine being a person standing there and hearing the Lord say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not driving them out. Good luck. You're on your own. Because we know you, you've got a lot of bright ideas. I mean, that forced labor idea, wow. 
Go ahead. Now, the Lord's not going to leave them, but he's going to let them swim in the consequences. Flip over to uh, 827 of Judges. Just take a peek ahead. This is an interesting verse, and we'll get to it later in the book. This is uh, under Gideon. Gideon 827 made into an ephod, made it into an ephod, and it's uh, here gold that's mentioned in verse 26. Placed it in his city, Oprah. We'll leave that for another sermon as well. (laughs) I I felt some of you saying, is he going to go there? No. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Wow. A thorn, a snare. What is that? A pain. Something that is uncomfortable and it's there and you would prefer that it not be, but there it is. They'll become a thorn in your side. Look, look back in uh, 2, 3. Their gods, now we get specific. Their gods shall be a snare to you. It's not that God did not love the Canaanite people, but they chose to worship other gods. And God knew that if Israel imbibed the same practices, they also would end up practicing uh, unspeakable things. Riken says, God adopted a zero-tolerance policy towards the Canaanites and their gods. Their worship was vulgar. It involved sexual promiscuity, child sacrifice, the worship of wood and stone. The Israelite... um, we're to totally get rid of all these things lest they become ensnared by them. I think it's quite obvious the spiritual application to us, don't you? Final two verses. And it came about when the angel of the Lord spoke these words. And we all know the angel of the Lord. Many scholars believe the angel of the Lord is none other than Jesus, second person of the Holy Trinity, prior to his birth at Bethlehem. That should not surprise us. And it was the angel of the Lord, Exodus 3, 1, that spoke to Moses according to Acts 7, verses 30 and 35, through the burning thorn bush. It was a thorn bush that Moses stood before when the Lord said, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob. When, when you send me and I go, what shall I say your name is? I am who I am. Jesus said that in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the God of the Exodus. I'm the God of Uh, your fathers. I'm the God of the burning thorn bush. I am he. It was Jesus, before he was named Jesus, who led Israel out of Egypt. It was Jesus, before he was named Jesus, who led them through the Red Sea, who delivered them, who instructed them to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and lentil. It is Jesus today, rejected by Many, many people in Israel, many in the Middle East, many in America. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think of it this way. The rejection of Jesus Christ is the rejection of the God of the Bible. 
You cannot have the Father without the Son. You can't have the Son without the Father. They all go together. The, the angel of the Lord, think of it this way. It might be easier to kind of just get it in your soul. The messenger of Yahweh, or Yahweh who is the messenger, you could say it, arrived. And what did he do? The one who instructed them, they were unfaithful to him. You know what he did? He showed up on a starry Bethlehem night to give his life for a disobedient, unfaithful bride. He was wounded for their transgressions. That's Isaiah 53. And you know that's written to Israel. And, by, and we're grafted in, so it's for us too. But he was wounded for their transgressions. He was pierced in his side. Talk about a thorn in the side. It wasn't a thorn in the side. It was a sword in the side. Pierced for our transgressions. Pierced with the nails of the crucifixion. Twisted on his head a, a crown of thorns. We love him because he first loved us. And he might say to them, what more do I have to do to show you I'm on your side that I'm not going to leave you or forsake you? And he arrives on the scene and the angel of the Lord says to them, what have you done? Why? And look at what the people do. The angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel that the people... When, when they heard it, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And so they named the place Bokim, which literally means weepers. And there they sacrificed to the Lord because they knew that they were guilty. So they tried to do like a guilt offering, which, you know, has, it's, that's fine. That, that would be a good way to respond. But they cried he cried over Jerusalem. They cry because they're getting corrected. But I wonder, and, and, and tears can be a good sign of repentance, right? I mean, we, we've often seen that if someone's sincerely coming to Jesus and they see their sin for what it is, often tears are a part of it, and that could be a really good thing. But tears are not always the best indicator of conversion. They can be, but they're not 100%, Right? Because after this, the people aren't going to perform so well. So what do their tears mean? Thank you for your mercy. We don't want to use your grace ever as an excuse for our sin. And so we quickly want to say that we celebrate grace, but we also know you want us to be faithful and you do want us to be um, vessels fit for the master's use. So Lord, help us to live our lives in gratitude for your faithfulness to the covenant. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. I pray for that person who uh, is struggling with the Canaanites in their lives. You help them take the appropriate action. Those who may have compromised with bright ideas but haven't really done what they should do, help us with that. Lord, um, in areas where maybe we, we feel locked out of our own inheritance. I pray you'll give us hope in those situations and that you'll do what needs to be done to clean that up. As we just think about the different tribes here moving down to, and sometimes when we get some hard truth and we gotta look in the mirror and it makes us just wanna cry. 
that that would be the beginning of a new beginning for many. And Lord, wherever there's been some gaps in what I've said tonight, would you fill those in with speaking to people by your Holy Spirit and whatever you want to bring to their hearts and minds. I know the room is filled with a bunch of believers tonight, so I thank you for them and I pray you'll bless them and encourage them, keep them strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. For those who may hear this and are not believers yet, my prayer is they will hear your voice and run to the Savior and the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.